broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Midtown Business Radio. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's CW. Thank you for checking out the Midtown Business Radio Show. On this week's episode, I sit down with Suzanne Ball. She's the CEO and co-founder of Q&A Events. And we talked about the fact that when she was just 14 years old, she went to an Amy Grant concert, looked around the venue, saw all the excitement and enthusiasm of the crowd, the cool set and all that went with it. And she realized this is something I would love to be able to do. I'd love to be able to put together a giant event like this with all these people, all these moving parts, all this excitement and do that myself. And in fact, just a couple of years later, she actually reached out to one of the backup singers for Amy Grant, who was performing that night. And actually at the age of 17, put on her first successful concert, including sponsors, ticket sales, and even a profit. Today, Q&A events is served clients like Coca-Cola, Daytona Speedway, and a host of others. And in fact, they do such a great job for their clients, they're actually able to grow their business primarily through word of mouth. Suzanne also spent some time as the president of the Atlanta Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce. And we got into talking about the opportunities that exist for members of the LGBT community to get involved with the AGLCC, have access to educational offerings, some mentorship, even some scholarships that can really help them advance as an entrepreneur, moving their business forward. She talks about the fact that she also got access to those opportunities herself early on and was able to move her business forward as a result of that. We talked about the certification that is available for members of the LGBT business community to become a certified LGBTBE or LGBT business enterprise and actually have access then to become suppliers for the large companies like the Deltas of the world, the Coca-Colas and others. Here's Suzanne talking about that first concert she produced when she was just 17 years old. Check it out. As it happened, I had wanted to produce a concert. And I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll do that. And I actually booked one of Amy Grant's backup singers and <laughs> I secured a venue, which happened to be my, my home church. Um, and they had an incredible sound system. So all that right. was in place. I secured a sponsor that was Mr. Gaddy's Pizza. <laughs> and they offered promotional discounts to everybody who attended. I sold tickets. And so it actually was something that we, we made a little money on. A uh, little money, but like right. $100. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> I can imagine 17 years old, you pull it off. How many people came? Well, okay. So we sold about 300 tickets, right. but probably about 50 to 75 people showed up. I, I think a lot of people were trying to eh, help me out. You know, that's <laughs> not the way every event goes though. You sell tickets and not everybody makes it yeah. out to the event. But I mean, dude, at the end of that, when you were counting it up and paid for everything yeah. and you thought, holy cow, we got money left yeah. over. Yeah, we were able to pay the artist. That's a good thing. <laughs> Stick around. We got the full interview with Suzanne Baugh coming up next. Good afternoon, everyone. It's C.W. Hall, your host here on the Midtown Business Radio Show. Thanks for taking time out of your day to check us out today. A few months ago, I had a friend of ours, a friend of our family on the show, Liz Coven over at Vivid Hair Salon. Hey, Liz, how are you doing? We did some sitting down with her talking about the, the Vivid Hair Salon and got to talking about some cool people that she knew. And she said, well, you guys need to reach out to the people at Q&A events. And so she turned me on to Colleen Wogan and Suzanne Baugh. Colleen's not here today, but her colleague and CEO of the company, Suzanne Baugh, is joining me in the studio. So thanks for taking some time to yeah. cruise over to the studio. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I was looking into the company, re reading about you on the website, 
I thought it was pretty amazing some of the things you've done as a, as a company, the events that you have had a hand in planning and executing. And one of the things I thought was really cool, you've been in this space for 25 years. You've obviously got a passion for planning events. And I noticed that your first time that you ever planned an event on any scale was when you were 17 years old. That's, that's pretty amazing. How did that happen? Talk about how you got wrapped into this so tightly. I actually went to my first concert event when I was 14 years old. It was Amy Grant's Straight Ahead Tour. And I was sitting on the floor of the arena and just kind of surveying what was happening on the stage, watching, this is before the, the concert had started, and watching people as they were filing in to the arena. And when the event got ready to actually kick off, the anticipation, the excitement got higher and higher. And, and uh, then there was a, a big intro. And I just remember the, the audience just went crazy for it. And I, I remember looking around going, this is what I want to do. I want to create experiences for people that that create joy and happiness. As it happens, my wife is actually a producer for the photography department over at Turner. Mm -hmm. So I kind of have an understanding somewhat of all the work that goes into just a photo shoot, much mm -hmm. less a, an event like what you're talking about, a full-scale concert, yeah. all the moving parts and all the little things that you have to have lined out, mapped out, in the right place, delivered on time, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's um, definitely something that I think a lot of people don't understand. They go into the, the concert or they go into the meeting, the conference, and they think that things are just there. Right. But there is a pretty extensive planning process that, that goes into making sure that everything is there and everything's in the right spot and it's where it needs to be when it needs to be there. It's a huge sense of accomplishment when you have been working on something for, I don't know, six months, a yeah. year, and then all of a sudden you, you see it. And I guess going back to your your other question about what made me do that event at 17, when I, as I said, I, I got inspired at, at 14 and then as it happened, I had wanted to produce a concert. And I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll do that. And I actually booked one of Amy Grant's backup singers. And I secured a venue, which happened to be my, my home church. Um, and they had an incredible sound system. So all that right. was in place. I secured a sponsor that was Mr. Gaddy's Pizza. <laughs> and they offered promotional discounts to everybody who attended. I sold tickets. And so it actually was something that we we made a little money on. A little money, but like right. $100. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> I can imagine. 17 years old, you pull it off. How many people came? Well, okay, so we sold about 300 tickets, right. but probably about 50 to 75 people showed up. I, I think a lot of people were trying to eh, help me out. <laughs> you know, that's not the way every event goes, though. You sell tickets and not everybody makes it yeah. out to the event. But I mean, dude, at the end of that, when you were counting it up and paid for everything yeah. and you thought, holy cow, we got money left yeah. over. Yeah, we were able to pay the artist. That was a good thing. <laughs> so now, how, what was your connection? How did you make connection with the, the backup singer? Is it just one of those happenstance things where somebody knew somebody or no, you just no, reached out? No, I just out? reached out to the uh, booking agent and it happened. That's really cool. Yeah. So. And so then... You were part of a, you went to school and you graduated and you got involved with another organization. Was it in Tennessee? Is that right? Yes, in Nashville. So I knew obviously early on that I wanted to get involved with events. So I went to a college in Nashville that had a music business program and it's called Belmont University. So I was there in Nashville and immediately when I started attending, I went straight into internships so that I could be testing out every aspect of the music industry that I could think of. So everything from PR and marketing to management, to booking agency, to publishing. And then I really just still came back to my original love, which is the, which is events. So and, you were getting the opportunity to actually intern in those types of roles? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Ah, so, I mean, you got to learn firsthand from the pros along, yeah. along the whole way. Yeah, I, I was very, very fortunate. But still, you were like, man, I just want to... You know, at the end of the day, I came back to the original love, and I started my senior year in college. I started working for an entertainment marketing company, and I continued to, to work for them after I graduated. And ultimately, they, they're a Time Warner joint venture, and ultimately, I uh, was the vice president of their entertainment marketing division. So it was a great tenure, and I left there in 1999 to start Q&A events. Now, did you launch this solo on your own and start pulling no. people in? How did, it, how did that happen? Uh, one of stuff? my colleagues at the joint venture in Nashville, Warner TBA, actually left with me, and we started Q&A events. So now it's myself and Colleen, but at the time it was myself and Andrea Town. Now, I saw something that was Q&A Entertainment. What's the, what, is that still something that's around, or is that an evolution? That is our corporate name. There was a little bit of an evolution because I think when we, we first started the organization, we were branded as entertainment, and a lot of people were equating that to just talent booking. We really wanted to showcase the fact that we're a full service service, comprehensive event production company. So while we do offer entertainment booking services, that is not the only thing that we do. So we really wanted to evolve to have our name reflect what we do. I saw that the mission of the company is to make it easy for your clients to have a great event. I mean, how do you fulfill that mission? It's kind of a multi-tiered process. You know, when we sit down with a client, most of our clients are are come to us word of mouth, which is great. But when we sit down with them, they may have an idea of what they want to do, but we need to really get an understanding of what their objectives are. So we have this discovery phase and what are your objectives? Who's your audience? When are you trying to have it? That type of thing. And then we'll go into more of a determining what they need us to do. So in some instances, our clients will facilitate certain portions of a project and need us to focus on other elements. Or they might want us to do the entire program start to finish. So we really have to understand what it is they want our expertise to be focused on. So who's coming to you to say, hey, help us do this. We're going to be putting on an event, whether it's, I assume, some trade show even or conferences for a large company or an Mm -hmm. association obviously music events, things like that. I mean, who, who's your customer base? Who are you trying to work well, with? Well, we work with corporate, professional associations, and nonprofit organizations primarily. So in some instances, we work with municipalities. So the people who are responsible for the events in the corporate department or the marketing activities in the corporate realm might be coming to us to ask for assistance with a, a program that they're trying to launch or an event that they're trying to produce. From a, an association, professional association standpoint, it's usually surrounded around a gala or a conference or a you know special annual meeting that they may have. And then from a nonprofit perspective, it may be a special event of some sort. Again, it could be a gala, but it might be a large-scale festival. Typically, it's the organization that is trying to execute a program. So we're not generally we're not working for other agencies. Generally, we're working directly with the end client. Mm-hmm. CEO of Q&A Events, Suzanne Boz, joining me in the studio. We're talking about how this came to be. She's talked about the fact that she actually started her first event planning session, was 17 years old, put on a successful concert, actually had it make some money, and over time went through school and has directed her basically her professional life at the focus of putting on fantastic events and looking at the website, obviously you've elevated yourself to be able to work with some pretty amazing things. I saw Daytona on there Mm -hmm. and a host of corporate clients that everybody's going to know about global brands. Talk about the process. You mentioned earlier on that some of these things take months, obviously, to bring together. Mm -hmm. How does that happen? How does it all come together when you 
are going to put on one of those large events, like say a large concert. Did I see something? Was it Music Midtown that was on there? Or is that what that was a part no, of? No, Atlanta a Pride. Okay, Atlanta Pride. So you know that there's definitely a concert element to that, but there's okay. also a um, a large scale festival production component to that as well. So with that, we do work on that program twelve months out of the year, and we're really focused on making sure that our operational vendors are in place. After we finish a year, we'll have a wrap up meeting and determine what worked, what didn't work, what do we need to make better for the attendees experience to be stellar and for our sponsors experiences to be stellar and our entertainers experiences to be stellar. So we'll look at all of that and then we'll start working on securing our operational vendors, laying out what the overall market looks like. Thankfully with a program like that, we've done it for so many years that there's a lot of reverse and repeat. But when you're starting to build something from scratch, you've got to take a look at what is the ultimate objective and how are you going to create that incredible experience for the attendees. And that's everything from where certain facilities are going to be situated to the type of entertainment that you're going to bring in. Being able to have all those details put together must be something. For you, what do you find to be the most challenging piece of putting together one of those large-scale events like that that's got so many moving parts? I think that the contingency plan of what do you do in a certain situation, whether it's bad weather or whether you have security issues or whether or not you just got so many people there that you've got to try and determine how you're going to navigate or how you're going to get them to navigate the space. And it's funny, you mentioned Music Midtown earlier, and um, Music Midtown typically occurs a few weeks prior to to Atlanta Pride. We've had a, a couple of years where they've had some bad weather and right. and that's resulted in some <laughs> issues for us. And I remember a couple of years ago, we had that happen. And when we showed up a couple of days after Music Midtown to assess the Piedmont Park area, it was just cordoned off with hundreds and hundreds of feet of fencing. Because it was a bog. Basically. Yeah. And, <laughs> and these fenced off areas were areas that we could no longer use right. as a part of our festival footprint, which means that we had to do a lot of reconfiguring about a week out. It's things like that, that you have a great plan in place and then somebody throws you a curveball or, or nature throws you a curveball and you've got to figure out how to react to that in a way that won't or will have the least impact on the, the attendees and on the service providers. Talking high level event planning with CEO of Q&A Events, Suzanne Ba. And when you're doing one of these events, is your service really, is it focused on executing the event itself in terms of the venue and, and potentially artists? You mentioned that you might do some artist booking, for example, as part of certain events. But are you also involved on the market? marketing side so that we're trying to get all those people that we want to come? I mean, are you a part of that or is that another organization that would be handling that? Well, we try to work with our clients on all aspects or at least be involved and engaged in all aspects while we may not be actually executing the marketing side. In some instances we are, but while we may not be, we definitely want to have an understanding of what their marketing message is, what they're trying to accomplish from a marketing standpoint, because it's only going to help us as we're trying to design a program. It's going to help us do a better job of making sure that we take those things into account and we infuse them into the event itself. We are very much involved with some of our clients on the creative development side of things. So maybe that somebody wants to do a relaunch of a product. We had this happen with Chevy, actually. They came to us and said, we want to relaunch the Malibu. And so we helped them execute their South of the East launch, design it, come up with the the overall plan, operational plan, and then the execution of it, where we were in 17 markets simultaneously over the course of three months, activating every weekend in malls across the Southeast. Talk about that 
type of event. So was it setting up vehicles that people could get in and look at, obviously, mm-hmm. and maybe yeah. even, could they drive any of the vehicles no, we at were, all? Or we it... were actually in malls. Okay. Um, so we were setting up a display um, uh, inside. area inside mm-hmm. the mall where people could come sit in the car, talk to a product specialist, and find out about the vehicle. So we designed it for the Malibu specifically. They were trying to really attract the female demographic. And so we kind of designed it so that it was really attractive to the female. Maybe we t- are we talking about like from a set perspective, mm-hmm. what the space looks the like space where we're displaying like. the vehicles? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then, but of course it was also something that would be welcoming to the men that were passing by as well. And it was a very successful program. We also tried to tie that in to future test drive experiences where they wouldn't actually test drive the vehicle with us, but mm. we would They would want them. to, right. Yeah. <laughs> and we would connect them with the local dealership so that they could hopefully get in, test drive, and ultimately purchase the vehicle. And so what Chevrolet knew is we want to sell more Malibus. We're relaunching the the design and mm-hmm. we see it being positioned heavily with females. From there, then they relied on you as to what you thought would be the best way to really get that exposed. Correct. And, and we worked with them to create that design, but it was definitely a team effort. Again, listening to what their objectives were, listening to their marketing mes- message and trying to think about where are we going to, during this time frame, where are we going to be able to get the most people to sit in this vehicle and learn about this vehicle? The program took place from November through January. So a mall is a great Oh yeah, it's going to be a little be, bit of traffic yeah, in that period bit. of time. <laughs> <laughs> On the website, I, I mentioned the fact that I saw something about Daytona talk about that. Mm -hmm. What did you do with Daytona? Well, the first time we worked with Daytona, they were actually a a venue that we were in. So Daytona International Speedway. And we were producing the Dale and her tribute concert. And that was in 2003. After that concert, we obviously had a a good relationship or had a relationship with the facility. And I just happened to reach out to them the following year just to touch base on how things were going. And they said, you know what? I was just getting ready to call you. (laughs) They wanted a program that would elevate their pre-race experience for the live audience, but then also that could be broadcast right. to the television audience as well and give something for the viewers to tune into ahead of time. The real objective for them was they really wanted to engage the television audience, but they really wanted to make sure that the live audience was engaged. So I don't know if you've seen Daytona, but they have a huge trioval area. Yeah. It's about five football fields long, and our directive was to fill the space. So I worked with a a great director, John Best, and we came up with a program that the first year, I think we had about 1,500 cast members and four or five performers. We designed the program that there would be three to four songs, all with production numbers attached to them. And that's what the cast members were doing. So cast was across the entire infield. And over the years, we, we produced that event for them for, I think, seven or eight years and got up to 3,000 cast members <laughs> on the field with performing with Bon Jovi, performing with Kelly Clarkson, a host of great entertainers as the backdrop. <laughs> so when are you going to get to do a, like a Super Bowl halftime? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. They <laughs> Sounds can call like they me and call I'll talk you. to them about it. <laughs> Absolutely. (laughs) Sounds like you're certainly capable. We would have fun. Yeah, we have a great team, uh, a lot of resources that if Super Bowl called us, we would put on a great show for them. (laughs) Has your work with Daytona, has that spawned any other interactions with NASCAR? I'm a bit of a NASCAR fan. Are you? Actually, it hasn't, but we worked with a number of NASCAR tracks prior to working at Daytona. I've produced Country Fest, which was first at the Atlanta Motor Speedway in 1996. And then we went to the Texas Motor Speedway and produced the event there along with the following 
following week a, a program called Rockfest. We've been to Chicago Motor Speedway. We've been to Daytona, obviously, and I think we hit Atlanta a couple of times. So we've been fortunate to be able to work in that environment and be engaged in that racing space a little bit. So it's it's been fun. It's definitely an experience. If you haven't attended a NASCAR race, it's something to... Oh, yeah. It's crazy. You, you won't... That's when I really became a fan. I, I had been watching it more or less casually mm-hmm. and, until I got to go. And that's when you really appreciate just how fast they're going yeah. and the a massive crowd and the sound and everything. It's, it's I, an experience. I didn't get it until I actually was there for a race. And <laughs> I mean, the, the excitement that the audience has, the attendees have is fantastic. Well, crowds then, are over, many times over 100,000 people. They're huge. Yeah, Daytona's 250. Now I think they've expanded their infield area so that they can accommodate up to 275,000, something like that. It's crazy. <laughs> I take it you're a frequent flyer based on what you're telling me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know I mentioned the fact that it's taken us four months to get together here in the studio because of your travel schedule, because mm-hmm. you're all over the place. How, how much time are you having to spend yourself on the locations that you're that you're doing to work on? You know, it really depends on the type of program that we're talking about. Conferences will tend to be on site for seven, eight days, depending on the type of program that it is. Atlanta Pride, I mentioned earlier, we're on location there for a total of about 10 days between load in and the event and then load out. But then there are some programs that we're kind of in and out. We have an event next week that we actually can't load in until the day of the event. And we start loading in <laughs> early, early morning and doors open five o'clock and then we're done and we're out the next day. So it's, you know, some of them are fast turnarounds, but we have as you mentioned, been on the road quite a bit, which is a great problem for us to have, but it's taken so long for us to connect. <laughs> hey, well, we're here now. And on a typical year, how many events are you usually putting together? Some of our programs are multiple events, so it's a little bit hard to tell. I mean, this year we have a tour that's out, Disability Rights Museum that's going around the country. Just that alone, we probably had about 20 to 25 activations. And then on top of that, another... So that's 25 stops they're 25 going to. 25 stops, gotcha. yeah. In addition to that, probably another another 15 to 20 events throughout the rest of the year. So it depends on the program and the year. You've been doing this well enough at a high enough level that the phone just rings. You, you, you're you not really even having to knock on people's doors to say, hey, have you ever thought about using us? There are times when we might hear about a client that we would like to engage with and do an outreach. But I'll be honest with you, we haven't in years done that as a proactive approach to our our sales method most of most of the projects that we get are word of mouth referrals which is great and a <laughs> yeah. testament to our to the clients that we work with and the relationship that we've developed with them and, and honestly a lot of our business is repeat so we're working with the same clients year after year, which is awesome. When does it make sense to incorporate the talents of an agency or consultancy like yours versus doing it myself? Well, I think that a client has to look at what is their day-to-day job and are they able to accomplish their day-to-day job and still be able to put together a program, whether it's a special event or a conference or something like that, or is their time going to be better used focusing on certain areas like ticket sales or sponsorships or overall marketing? We are going to be able to come in and take a lot of the day-to-day functions of putting together an event off of their plate so that they can focus on their primary business function. And I think that a lot of nonprofits, a lot of associations run into an issue of lack of staffing. And so we're basically 
their event production arm and their internal team, if you will. And we, we do like to look at ourselves as a team member of our clients, not, not a contractor. We want to be immersed in their environment. We want them to engage us not only for a conference, but if they have a meeting that's down the road, they, we want to be their go-to department. It sounds like you're doing a good job of that. You're ha- <laughs> The phone's ringing. Yeah. <laughs> Keeping yes. you traveling around the country. We are very, very fortunate. You mentioned the fact that you've done a lot of work with the Pride events that are here in mm-hmm. Atlanta. And I know, obviously, that Atlanta as a community has a pretty robust gay and lesbian community that's very active and, and obviously is very much a part of Atlanta and mm-hmm. the fabric of Atlanta. And, and I know that for a while you were actually involved with the Chamber of Commerce, the AGL Season. Chamber of Commerce. Mm-hmm. Talk about them a little bit. We'll give them a little bit of airtime here. We'll talk about what they're trying to do and mm-hmm. maybe I'll give folks a bit of an idea of what we're talking about in terms of economic impact of this particular facet of our community. Mm-hmm. Yes, I was the... Um... I've been involved with the AGLCC for a number of years, but I was the president a couple of years ago. And the real focus of the AGLCC is to promote economic growth and development of LGBT businesses and allied businesses. We're trying to give businesses the opportunity to work together or to grow, if if they're B2B, work together. Mm -hmm. If they're B2C, develop their clientele base and work with a lot of our corporate partners, again, from the B2B side. We've seen a tremendous service in the last couple of years for this. We're an affiliate of the National Chamber, which Q&A Events does a lot of work with as well. And it's all about doing business together. Mm-hmm. And the advocacy side of it is like creating the equality for the LGBT business community, whether it's a small business owner or whether it's a person who works within the corporate space. Do you have a high level of participation among the merchants who are part of the LGBT community? Do you still have a lot of them that might need to get involved? I'm sure there's some oh, we reasons. definitely have. Yeah, we definitely have a lot of them that still need to get involved. When you look at the number of people who are engaging the LGBT community, it's enormous. And I think truthfully, there may be a number of people out there that don't know that the AGLCC exists. Right. And we're doing things that would be beneficial for them to know that we exist. And, you know, I think the strength is in numbers. So it would be great from a couple of perspectives. But the programming that the AGLCC is putting out there, we have a program called AGLCC University. And it's an educational program where people can learn about we just had one with Google, learn about the marketing side of what they can do on their website to promote their business to on the flip side, might go to Coca-Cola and hear what it is that Coca-Cola wants in a supplier and how to develop your business to become a better supplier for. I'm curious on that topic, one of the organizations that's done a lot of work with us over the past year, a little over, has been the Georgia Minority Suppliers Development Council, which certifies minority business enterprises. Are there similar, because like, for example, they've got what they call disadvantaged business enterprises mm-hmm. for veteran-owned or combat-wounded veterans, women-owned businesses, for example. Is a similar certification opportunity yes. in the LGBT community yeah. that would allow them to participate in some of those business opportunities as a supplier? You mentioned to do the business with Delta and yeah. Coca-Cola and some of those companies that try from a corporate culture and advocacy perspective, try to serve their community by working with some of those disadvantaged enterprises. Is that available? That yeah. people, because many people don't realize, for example, the MBE certification, many people don't even realize that there's such a thing out there. Right. So I guess there, yeah. there's a similar opportunity here. The the AGLCC, as I mentioned, is a, as a affiliate of the NGLCC. The NGLCC is the national certifying mm-hmm. body for folks to become an LGBTBE, business, an LGBT business enterprise. And 
locally, the Atlanta Chamber would be the people who are going out and doing the site visits to ensure that all the questions are answered and basically submitting that back to the NGLCC for ultimate certification. Mm-hmm. And the goal is to increase the number of certified businesses and the quality of certified right. businesses so that they are better able to do business with corporate America. Corporate America is working very hard to make sure that they're engaging suppliers in the LGBT realm. So in many cases, there are people or corporations who are trying to make sure that they hit a certain spend with LGBT businesses. So it's a great way to make sure that you are at least in the space to be able to be recognized and do business with those corporate partners. I know through my work with the show, as I've helped with the Let's Talk Small Business show that I'm talking about with GMSDC and working with Laura Hodson over at Now Account. They do some work with disadvantaged business enterprise folks too, that it's a truly great opportunity. If you've been in business for a minute or two and you have a good corporate structure, I mean, you can't just be, say, I'm a business and actually get access. But if you have a good corporate structure in place and you go through the process of certification, it really does open some doors to do business with Marta and all these large Absolutely. Global brands. It could really change your business. Yeah, absolutely. And it does. I know even before we were doing business with some of the corporations that we worked with, Q&A Events was able to take advantage of some of their scholarship programs. So, for instance, I was able to go and attend Dartmouth, the Tuck Executive Business Program because of the NGLCC certification. Wow. Yeah. And then also because of Coca-Cola sponsorship to send me back up there, which was great for growing my business. And that was before we even did any business with Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. So it was <laughs> their way of helping me grow as a small business owner. And it did. And it was an amazing experience, but one that I would not have gotten the opportunity to participate in if I wasn't LGBT certified. Mm-hmm. I know that you're in the middle of your day and, and I want to get you back to your office. But before we let you go, are there any things that either about Q&A or about the AGLCC that we want to throw out there for folks to know about? If you're looking for someone to help you with your event, <laughs> please give us a call and we'll sit down and talk about what your needs are. As I mentioned earlier, we definitely want to be a team player with all of our clients. We definitely love working on programs that make a difference in the world. So if we're able to do that and do what we love and executing programs, then so much the better. From the AGLCC side of things, if you're an LGBT business where you work within a corporation and you have a business resource group that has an LGBT tie, I suggest that you check out this organization because it's definitely worth getting involved in. Now, I know that the Q&A Events website is Q&A Events, not the N letter, but Q&A Events.com. Of course, the same on Twitter and Facebook as well, Q&A Events. And we've tied in with you on Twitter already, and we'll do so on Facebook as well. What about for the AGLCC? It is the AtlanticAgayChamber.org. Okay. Any other contact information we need to throw out there for folks? I think that about covers it. I really have had a a pleasure getting the chance to sit down with you, Suzanne, and talk about your company. And it sounds like there may be some opportunities to collaborate going down the road. So I look forward to doing that. Uh, For the folks who may be coming back for the podcast, if you've not done so already, if you look in the upper left-hand corner of the show page, you'll see the Apple logo there. Click on that. That'll take you to the iTunes store, to the Midtown Business Radio Show podcast. Subscribe to us. That way, every week when the new podcast comes out, it'll be downloaded straight to your device. You can check us out on your way to work or walking the dog, whatever the case may be. And you can also find us on iHeartRadio under the Midtown Business Radio Show as well. Woo! We're on the uh, iHeartRadio network, which we were really excited about getting included there. So for all the folks that made us a part of your day today and to Suzanne, we really want to say thank you so much. We really had a lot of fun having you here. And for the folks out there in Radio Land, we'll see you all same time, same place next week. We'll see you then. <laughs>